Why don't you go ahead and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10 and verse 10. And a little different than in recent weeks, that is the only verse of Scripture you will need to turn to today. I, uh, over the last few weeks, have been trying to prove how many verses you can force into a message, and today I'm trying to prove how few verses you can preach a message out of. So, here we go. Uh, I think that one of the main questions that sincere people ask when they think about God is, what does God want from me? What does God want from me? And I think this is a good question for us to ask. You know, if there is a God, and there is a God, then, then we ought to be concerned if He wants something from us. And we ought to be concerned about finding out what it is that He wants from us. And it seems to me, it's just my observation, but it seems to me that too few people are concerned about what God wants from them. Now, too many people give no thought to God, give no thought to what God wants, or if they give any thought to it, they wrongly assume that He wants nothing for them or nothing from them. I should have said He wants nothing from them other than what they want uh, for themselves. So what does God want from me is a good question that I think every single one of us uh, ought to consider. And there are many ways that that question can be answered. Just a few examples. God wants your heart. Uh, God wants you to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. He, he wants from you your worship. He wants from you obedience to His commands. He wants from you your love for Him and love for uh, your fellow man. And He wants from you participation in the Great Commission. He wants you to tell other people uh, about the, the gospel, about Jesus Christ. So, so we need to engage this question, what does God want from me? But there's another question that we often fail to consider about God. It's, a, it's another important question. It's the question, what does God want for me? What does God want for me? God not only wants things from you, but God wants some things for you. In fact, I would say that everything that God wants from us is because He realizes that those things He's asking of us will serve to get us the things He wants for us. So He wants things from us because of what He wants for us. And let me just, you know, quickly mention here that this is true of, of the church, universal, this church, and leaders of the church as well. You know, people often feel like, and sometimes people will, will actually, you know, vocalize this thought that, that churches only want things from them. You know, you'll hear that complaint about churches quite a bit. They only want things from me. And I'll just be honest with you, it is true that churches, including this one, do want things from you. Uh, that, that is true. But there is a reason for that. There's a very good reason for that. It is because we believe that the things we want from you will help you receive the things we want for you. It's just like a football coach wants from his team a lot of hard work and preparation and running extra sprints and studying the playbook harder than they did the week before. He wants all of those things from them because he wants some things for them. 
He, he wants for them victory on Saturday. He wants for them a, a, a life of discipline and, and a life that is successful. And he knows that these things that he needs from them will serve those purposes. On that note, uh, wasn't uh, last night just really heartbreaking? Uh, it was a win. I should explain the heartbreaking comment. When you set yourself up to believe that Ohio State should win every game by 50 points, then even an awesome win is heartbreaking to you. And here's my prayer for you, that you would have greater maturity than some people do. People standing here. So, anyway, I am thankful for the win. All right. But I want it to be by 50 next week. So, all right. So, so we want things from you because we want things for you. We want you to be involved in a connect group because we want some close, meaningful relationships for you. We want you to, to read the Bible and we want you to pray because we want a close relationship with God for you. And we know that that's how it's going to come about. You've got to engage with God. You've got to talk to God. You've got, to, you've got to engage with His Word. We want you to be serving within the church, and we want you to be serving in the community. It is true that we want these things from you, but it's because we believe service will bring greater meaning and fulfillment to your life, and we want meaning and fulfillment for you. We really do. We want faithful financial stewardship from you. Because we believe that that'll do some great things for you. Say, Brian, come on, be serious. You really just want that from us, don't you? No, I want it for you. I really do. Because it's going to do things in you that are really good things for you. It's going to restrain the, the, the hold that materialism has on you. It's going to help to break you free from the hold that materialism has on so many of us in this culture that we live in. It's, it's going to bring financial discipline. I believe it brings the blessing of God. I really do. And because it's a way of investing that has a guaranteed return. A guaranteed return. There are no guaranteed returns in investing. You know this, right? Over the last several years, many have lost so much of what they invested through no fault of their own. This is a guaranteed return investment. And so churches and church leaders do want things from their fellow Christians. They do want things from the members of their congregations. But it's only because we believe those things we want from you will help you to receive the things that we want for you. And God wants some things from us, but it's because of the things that he wants for us. And he knows the best way for us to experience the things that he wants for us. So what does God want for us? What does God want for you? 
Well, today we're looking at a single verse of Scripture, and within this verse of Scripture, we find uh, a really good answer uh, about this question, to, to this question of what God wants for us. It's a high-level answer. Uh, there, there's not a lot of detail, and we're going uh, to fill in a little bit of the detail today, not all, but this single verse of Scripture has a very good answer as to what God wants for you. It's John 10.10. 10. And uh, here's what it says. It'll be on the screen behind me as well. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So, so the first part of the verse tells us what the enemy of our souls is after. He, he is wanting to steal from us. He's wanting to destroy us. He's wanting to kill us. And we've talked in recent weeks about the intentions uh, that the enemy of our soul has. Uh, but today I really want to focus most of our attention on the second part of this verse. Jesus says, I have come that they. Now, who's the they? It's his sheep. It's his people. That they may have life and have it to the full. So what we've read uh, here is the NIV translation of the Bible lets us know that God wants us to have a full life. The English Standard Version of the Bible says it a little different. Here's how, here's how it says it. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What does God want for you? He wants you to have an abundant life. He wants you to live life abundantly. And then I love how the New Living Translation says this. The New Living Translation is a little bit more of a paraphrase of the Scriptures, but it says, the thief's purpose is to steal, steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This verse is a promise. It's from Jesus to everyone who belongs to him. It's a promise from Jesus to you. If you belong to him today, or at whatever point you turn over control of your life to him, this promise is to you. It is the promise of abundant life. Jesus promises those who belong to him a rich, meaningful, and satisfying life. If you're following along on the outline, that's your your first opportunity to fill in the blanks. Rich, meaningful, and satisfying life. So if you've never considered what God wants for you, or you've had the idea that God only wanted things from you, you need to know what God's intentions toward you are. He wants for you. He promises to you, if you belong to him, a rich, meaningful, and satisfying life. And everything that he wants from us, everything he demands of us, as our master and Lord, he does so because he knows what he's asking of us will help us receive what he wants for us. You see, he's the creator of life. He designed this, this whole thing. And because he did, he knows how it works best. He knows how life works for us. He, he, he knows what the enemy is trying to do in our lives, the, in, the work that the enemy is trying to do, and he knows how to help you overcome what the enemy is trying to bring about in your life. All of God's workings in your life and in my life, including all of his commandments, are toward this end of a rich, satisfying, and meaningful life for us. 
those are God's intentions for us. I find it interesting that the, uh, the announcement of the birth of Jesus uh, lets us know uh, that these are God's intentions for us. You remember it. You, you talk about it every Christmas. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Some, some translations say favor toward men. God has goodwill toward you. He is favorable toward you. He wants good things for you. He wants a rich, meaningful, and satisfying life for you. He wants an abundant life for you. And he has promised that abundant life to all who belong to him. Now, a couple weeks ago, we considered that the enemy of our souls, Satan, the devil, the thief, uh, we, we considered him and we learned that lying is his native language. Uh, we learned that he is the father of lies. We learned that he is a master of disguise. We learned that he makes himself look appealing to us, that he makes himself look like he is for us when actually he is after our destruction. And as we consider abundant life today, we need to be wise, I think, first of all, to the things that the enemy of our soul tries to pass off as abundant life. He, he always perverts everything good that God intends for us. And so the enemy tries to pass off things to us as the abundant life. One of the ways that he tries to steal and kill and destroy is by lying to people about what the abundant life is, getting us to buy into his lies. And so he tries to pass off things as the abundant life that are actually things that will bring destruction to our lives. And so we need to be wise to the way the enemy sells a corrupted concept of the abundant life. And, and so he convinces us of a lot of things. He convinces us that the abundant life is a life where we place ourselves at the center of all things. Everything revolves around us. All of our decisions are motivated by selfish interest. We won't be constrained by God or the common good. He, he convinces people that the self-centered life is the pathway to an abundant life where you're the captain of your own ship, the master of your own domain. He tries to convince us that the abundant life is a life that is given to unrestrained pursuit of pleasure. He tells us that if something is pleasurable, it's satisfying. That if something is pleasurable, it's meaningful. It brings meaning to our lives. But God says that some things that are pleasurable are only so for a time, but then they lead us to destruction. Satan tries to hide that truth. He tries to get people to focus only on pleasure, not on the destruction that's inherent in unrestrained pursuit of pleasure. The enemy tries to pass off all kinds of things as the abundant life. He, he, he tries to convince us all kinds of false paths to a rich, satisfying, and meaningful life. He says that accumulating a lot of money uh, is the abundant life. He says power and prestige mark an abundant life. He says that the abundant life is when you're able to keep up with the Joneses who are in a ridiculous amount of debt. He says the abundant life is a lot of great entertainment and a lot of great vacations. He says that the abundant life is getting our way in each and every situation. In each of these examples and many more that could be given, when the, what the enemy of our souls tries to do uh, is he tries to convince us of these things, and when he is able to, 
And let's just be honest, he's able to convince a lot of us of these things. It, it is sad, but even those of us who, who are really sincerely trying to walk with the Lord, we allow him to convince us of these things an awful lot. And when he convinces us of these things, he has begun to lead us down a path that makes it very easy for us to become victims of his stealing, his destroying, his killing. When he's able to pass off to you and when he's able to pass off to me an inaccurate vision of what the abundant life is, what he has done is he has set us up for destruction. And so one of my prayers for this message today is that we would be wise to his lies, that we would be alert, that we would not allow the enemy to pass off a false vision of what the abundant life is. Before we move on to considering some of the markers of the abundant life that Christ promises, there's one more thing that I think we need to address that the abundant life is not. It's not what the enemy tries to convince us that it is. But there's something else we need to understand that the abundant life is not. It's really important. It's a very important point. We have to make sure that we never get a wrong idea about what it means to have a rich, satisfying, and meaningful life. And there is a very unfortunate misrepresentation of the abundant life that has been embraced by far too many Christians. Jesus' promise of an abundant life is not a promise of an easy life. Jesus' promise of an abundant life is not a promise of an easy life. And we don't like that. I don't like that. Um... You're looking at a guy who can get really troubled by some very simple things going wrong in his life. You know, a spilled can of pop. Like, don't like it. <laughs> I, I, I was uh, walking out of the office the other day, and, uh, you know, I had my bag and some books, and I love Diet Mountain Dew, so I was, you know, trying to carry a Diet Mountain Dew with all this and get the door open, and my Diet Mountain Dew dropped out of my hand, and because we have this lovely sloped parking lot, it rolled all the way down. <laughs> so all the cars that were passing, because it was, you know, people were getting off work and heading home, all the cars that were passing saw me chasing down the hill <laughs> a can of Diet Mountain Dew. And I will tell you, I did not like that, because it did not feel easy. So... Jesus' promise of an abundant life is not a promise of an easy life. Everything won't go the way we want it to go. In Matthew 7, Jesus told this parable of a wise and a foolish builder. The wise builder was the one who built their house on rock. The foolish builder was the one who built their house on sand. And what the parable says is that the storms came, the rains came, the winds blew, the house on the rock stood, while the house on the sand came crashing down. And of course, the, the person who built on the rock, the wise builder, was the person who had built their life on Christ and his teachings. The foolish builder was the one who had heard the message of Christ, but had ignored it. But here's what I think, at least for our purposes today, we need to understand from that parable. Whether the person was wise or whether the person was foolish, 
Whether the person was built on Christ or whether the person was not, the storms came to the two people just the same. Didn't matter if you were wise or foolish. Didn't matter if you were built on Christ or not. The storm came to your life. And friends, this is something we just need to to embrace. Life is stormy. Storms are just a part of life. If anyone has ever told you to turn your life over to Jesus and everything will be good for you, they lied to you. (laughs) They lied. Now, it was probably a well-intentioned lie. They probably didn't mean to lie, but they lied to you. The promise of an abundant life is not the promise of an easy life. It's just not. And I think that one of the greatest things that can happen for Christian people, and one of the greatest signs of a person really maturing in their faith, is when we can embrace the reality that trouble is just a part of life. Even a life built on Christ. Even a rich, meaningful, and satisfying life. Even an abundant life. Trouble is just part of the deal. Jesus not only taught that the storms uh, come to all people, he taught that for people to serve him, for people to follow him, they had to be willing to take up their cross and follow him. You know, that didn't mean then what we think it means now. You know, like, eh, we all have our cross to bear as if, you know, a cross is some minor inconvenience. Jesus was saying to people that they had to let go of their grip on life itself. They had to be willing to figuratively, but even literally, die for him. He taught that people who belonged to him would be hated and mistreated for no other reason than belonging to him. Jesus has not promised us an easy life. But he has promised us an abundant life. A rich meaningful, satisfying life. So we have to resist the enemy's attempt to pass off a false vision of the abundant life, and we have to understand that the promise of abundant life is not the promise of an easy life. Knowing what abundant life is not, now let's consider for a few minutes what it is. Obviously, there are so many things that Scripture uh, has to say uh, on this that we can't, can't cover at all here today. There's no way we can... Uh, treat this in any kind of uh, full way. But I've identified six things that I want to share with you today uh, to highlight that are a part of the abundant life that Christ promises those who belong to him. And here's the first one. Abundant life is having a personal relationship with God. Personal relationship with God. Now, I think that we take this for granted. We take for granted having a personal relationship with God. But we shouldn't. Our having a personal relationship with God came at the cost of the death of Jesus Christ, the only person who ever lived without sin. Basically, the whole story of the Bible is how God can stand to be around us. Like, the whole story of the Bible is how God figured out a way to tolerate us. To allow us to be in his presence. To allow us to have a relationship with him. 
Romans 5 tells us that Christ died for us while we were enemies of God. In Christ, God reconciled a man to himself. We should never take for granted uh, that we can have a personal relationship with God because it came through great cost to God, the death of his one and only son. And really, if you think about having a relationship with God, it's a pretty audacious thing for people to claim. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about God, the creator of all things, the one who has no beginning and no end. The one who with words spoke into existence everything that is. The one who sustains all things. The earth stays in orbit because of him. Does it ever bother you when you just realize we're just kind of like floating out there in nothing? It freaks me out. (laughs) But what else would it be? Freak me out too to think the whole thing was just flat. Inside words, inside words, okay. (laughs) The sun provides light and heat for earth because of him. The universe is ever expanding because of him. He's a spirit. It's a bit outrageous to think of having a personal relationship with that being with God. But the Bible says we do. And many of us here today give testimony that we do. We have experienced God. We know Him in a personal way. That is an amazing thing. It is abundant life. It is rich, satisfying, meaningful life if we appreciate it, if we understand it. Here's one. Abundant life is living in fellowship with God's people. When the body of Christ functions like it ought to, and often it does not function as well as it should, but when it's properly responding to the messages that its head Christ is sending, the body of Christ is a beautiful thing. And too many Christians fail to look at fellowship with God's people as part of an abundant life. But it is. It's part of God's promise of an abundant life to us. Remember, abundant life does not mean an easy life. And fellowship with God's people does not always, let me change that, almost never means easy. That was hilarious and nobody laughed. Well, I'm sorry, Kevin laughed. never equates to being easy. But if you invest in the lives of others, and if you'll find a few folks who will invest in your life in the name of Christ, it truly is a blessing. It really is something that marks a rich, satisfying, and meaningful life. You know, some of the relationships that please me the most are with people who I've walked through really hard times with within the church people that I've come into conflict with. But we worked through it. We allowed Christ to work in our relationship. 
And I'll tell you, when that happens, that is satisfying stuff. It's hard. There's nothing easy about it. But if we can just get easy out of our thinking about what makes for an abundant life, then the fellowship we have with God's people can really be appreciated as part of the abundant life that Christ has offered. And so if you're trying to live the Christian life on your own, just you and Jesus, you're missing out on one of the great blessings that God has provided for you. Here's another one. Abundant life is a life filled with meaningful activities. God wants you to have a rich, satisfying, and meaningful life, and he's provided ways for you to engage in meaningful activities. In fact, let me just summarize everything I'm about to say that all of life is a meaningful activity. Understood correctly, there is nothing that you do, nothing that I do that is not just full of meaning. Family is a great place to engage in meaningful activities. God has given every single one of us a family. Some families are larger than others. Some families are more dysfunctional than others, but, but we have family. And, and if by some chance we don't have family, God's provided us a family here. We have family. All of us do. I want to focus on biological families for a second, though. The investment that you make in your children in your parents, in your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins, even your weird uncles. These are meaningful relationships. These are opportunities that God has provided you for an abundant life. God intends for your work to be a place where you find meaning. I think too many of us resent that we even need to work But you know, God placed man in the garden and told him to work before sin came into the world. When I was about 20, I hated work so much, I had convinced myself that uh, work was a result of sin. <laughs> so it gave me license to hate it. But work was God's design for mankind before sin, or, before sin entered the world. Now, I do think it's true that sin brought a difficulty to work, a frustration to work that I don't think existed before sin, but having responsibilities, giving oneself to productive effort, work, was God's plan from the beginning. And it is a source of meaningful activity in our lives. You know, even if you dislike your job, and I'm probably going to anger a few of you right now, but somebody once told me if you're a preacher and you never make anybody mad, you're probably not doing your job. So uh, even, and I sense you disagree with that, uh, even if you dislike your job, okay, if you get your head right, you can find meaning in it. You really can. The Bible tells us that everything we do is to be done as unto the Lord. This means that there is no task too small that we should not be glorifying God through it. It means that there is no job so unappealing that we should not be doing it for the glory of God. Not only does the most mundane task well done provide meaning if it's done as unto the Lord, but any work that a person does to provide for their needs 
for the needs of their family, even if it's work that does not float your boat. Friends, that is meaningful work. If it's providing for your family, that is meaningful work. That is a gift from God to you. That's a marker of a rich, satisfying, and meaningful life. Now, some people are blessed to find the sweet spot uh, when it comes to their work. They're able to do what they love doing, and that is a tremendous blessing. You know, a lot of us never find that. But if we're able to think about work in the way God wants us to, in the way that's pleasing to God, then we're able to glorify Him through our faithfulness to provide for our family, our faithfulness to use the resources uh, that God provides through that job to invest in things of eternal value. God intends for your ministry involvement to be part of the abundant life that He has for you. Yes, it is true that your church wants some things from you, We want you involved in serving. We want every single person that says this is their church to be involved in serving. But it's because we want something for you. We want for you the satisfaction that comes from serving others in the name of Jesus. The joy that comes when your ministry is used by God to make a difference in someone else's life. There are no unimportant jobs in the kingdom of God. There are no ministries that are not full of meaningful opportunities in the kingdom of God. Let's consider a few of the ministries here at the church. Today, a group of probably 10 people or so gathered in the kitchen at 930, uh, and they serve as our welcome team. Now, to many people, the job of a welcome team is to pass out bulletins. It is to say hi in something approximating a friendly voice. It is to receive the offering. It's to pass out free gifts. And it is true that all of those things are part of the responsibilities of the welcome team. But the job of the welcome team is to extend the welcome of Christ himself to everybody who comes to the church. This is rich satisfying, meaningful work if it's understood properly. If it's understood properly. This week, uh, Ben mentioned we had uh, several men that helped us build this wall and transfer our offices from one part of the building to another. Uh, It was hidden work. Uh, Only those of us who were here during the week and saw it happen knew anything about it until, until this morning. And then yesterday, a bunch of people came and helped do various things. And what was happening here, yes, we were tearing down walls and throwing drywall away, but what really was happening is we were creating space so that we could better serve middle schoolers and high schoolers that God sends to this church. This is meaningful ministry work that makes a difference for eternity. Tearing down a wall makes a difference. Because it helps us to serve people better in the name of Christ. Here's another one. God wants you to have uh, times of rest and leisure. You know, the Christian responsibility is not work until you drop. And that's another reason we want everybody serving. Because if everybody doesn't serve, a few people work until they drop. 
But that's not what God wants for us. Yes, we should work hard, but we're to make sure we rest too. You know, Jesus often withdrew from the crowds that gathered to hear him speak to, to, to have some rest. He spent time alone with the Father. He attended parties and hung out with friends. Leisure is not wasted time. It is part of the abundant life that God has promised you. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So when you belong to Jesus and you submit everything to him, your family, your work, your ministry, even your leisure, you do it all in his name, then you're going to have an abundant life. You're going to have a rich, satisfying, and meaningful life that will cause your heart to overflow in thanks to God. Abundant life is a life with meaningful activity. God wants this for you. He has promised it for you. Abundant life is a life under the favor and blessing of God. That's the next fill in the blank. And that's all I have to say about that one. Abundant life is a life filled with real joy. That's your next fill in the blank. And here's what I mean by real joy. I do not mean a continual state of feeling happy. What I mean is a deep down sense of contentment and satisfaction that though everything may not be going your way, and even though things might be really hard right now, you know that you belong to Jesus, you know that he loves you, you see his activity in your life, you know your work is for the Lord, you know that because of him everything in life is meaningful, and though it might be really hard, deep down in your spirit, you're pleased about it all. You're pleased that you belong to him. You're pleased that he loves you. You're pleased that your life is being spent for him. And the final marker of an abundant life that I'll mention for today, abundant life is a life that makes a difference for eternity. Abundant life is a life that makes a difference for eternity. If you think about it correctly, there are few things that make for a rich, satisfying, and meaningful life like knowing that you're cooperating with God's plan of reconciling men and women and the entire created order to himself. To know that when you teach kids in flight school or lead a middle school class or fellowship event, when you give yourself to serve high schoolers or you participate in leading worship, when you give yourself to extending God's welcome to everybody who walks through the doors of the church or you pass out free stuff in a Kroger parking lot until they kick you out or you, or you build walls and you move offices to make room for kids or you go on a short-term mission trip or you work overtime so that you'll have a little money to give to someone else who wants to go on a mission trip or you sacrifice something new you want to buy this month because you can't do that and continue to give to the Lord as you're committed to, or you serve people in the name of Christ at a food pantry, or you teach your own children about Christ, you lead them in prayer, you model participation in Christian community. All of these things and many more that we could add to the list make a real difference for eternity. You can't ask for something more satisfying and meaningful than knowing that the work you do reverberates forever. Forever. And let me just ask you to imagine a couple of things. Can you imagine the excitement that you will feel at having a grown adult walk, walk up to you in heaven 
and remind you that they came to faith in Christ while you were teaching them in Sunday school. Can you imagine what that's going to feel like? The joy that's going to flood your soul when that happens? Can you imagine the joy that will fill your heart when someone walks up to you and says, you know, the first time I came to Vineyard Pataskala, I was really angry at God, and I was really angry at Christians, and I did not think anybody could change my mind. But there was something about you and how kind you were to me, how genuinely warm and welcoming you were that caused my defenses to start to come down. Thank you. Can you imagine what that will feel like? Can you imagine the feeling when someone shares with you that it was your testimony of God's deliverance in your life that finally brought them to the place of wanting to be free from the sin in their own life. God wants this for you. God wants these experiences for you. So here are a few things I pray that God will bring about in our lives today. I pray that each of us would know, really know, really believe that God is for us that he wants for us a rich, satisfying, and meaningful life. He wants for us an abundant life. I pray that we would be wise to the enemy's attempts to offer us a fraudulent vision of what the abundant life is. I pray that we would rid ourselves of the wrong idea that abundant means easy, and that we would embrace that life is going to be full of trouble, but in the midst of the trouble, it is still an abundant life. I pray that we would receive Jesus' words in John 10.10 for what they are, a promise from God to us. I pray that you would live in the reality of this promise, that you would have a rich, satisfying, meaningful, rewarding life. And I pray that if you see evidence of these markers of an abundant life that we've discussed today, you see these in your life, that you would know that even if your finances are tight, And even if your car is a piece of junk, even if life really is hard and nothing is seeming to go your way, that you will still know that you are living the abundant life that Christ has promised you. And I pray that if you feel like you're not experiencing the abundant life Christ has promised, that you'd realize that's probably an indicator that you need to draw closer to Jesus. When we don't experience joy, which we're promised, when we aren't living in close relationship with God, when we aren't appreciating our fellowship with God's people as being a blessing, when we aren't finding meaning in the many meaningful activities that God has provided for us, when we aren't appreciating the wonderful opportunities we have to make a difference for eternity, It very likely means we've allowed the cares of life to draw us away from Jesus. We've allowed the lies of the enemy to convince us that abundant life is something that it isn't. And if that's where we're at today, then we need more of Jesus. We need a fresh filling of God's Spirit. And so if that describes you, you can draw closer today. You can be refilled today. You can have your your mind set right today. If you'll just turn to Jesus in faith. Why don't you stand?